Welcome back to the Gospel Rant. This is Dr. Bill Sinyard uh, doing a new podcast series for fall 2020 in the middle of the COVID pandemic. Uh, a bunch of us are going through the Book of Romans in a small group, and I thought that I would do some podcast of my thoughts and my impressions and my offenses related to the Book of Romans. So we're titling this Romans, the Book of Microaggressions. Romans, the Book of micro. Aggressions. What's a microaggression? Uh, you know, it's kind of outdated now. It's kind of a 10-year-old thing, but I like it, so I'm going to use it. So if it's offensive, that's just another microaggression. Microaggression, according to Wikipedia, is a term used for brief and commonplace daily verbal or behavioral indignities, whether intentional or unintentional, that communicate hostile, derogatory, or negative attitudes towards stigmatized or culturally marginalized groups. So, so you get the idea. Well, this podcast series is going to be intentional, uh, and, and the, the target communicating aggression will be towards comfortable Christians, including me. Professor Kevin Nadal draws a tighter circle around the modern culturized use to the term this way. Microaggressions are thinly veiled. It won't be in this podcast. Everyday instance of racism, homophobia, sexism, and more that you see in the world. Sometimes it's an insult. Other times it's an errant comment or gesture. I mean, honestly, I think what Paul is doing is, is microaggressions towards the religious, towards comfortable Christians, towards those Christians that are tending towards deism or tending towards secular humanism or tending towards idolatry. And the whole message is getting uh, messed up. And it, by the way, it's losing its offensiveness, right? So for our use, uh, this microaggression is a comment, inflection, body language that offends another person in order to shame them for redemption, to shame them so that we can once again have our heads cleared and we can begin to experience the love of Christ for us. I think it's desperately needed now. We're so distracted. Look, so this is the opposite of saying things that are always positive and uplifting and non-critical and non-condemning and comfortable, non-racist or non-division, right? You know, the, can't we just all get along and let everyone believe what they want to believe? But that's a society with we're like marbles bouncing off each other. We might change people's direction forcibly, but we're not affected. We're not changed. There's no softness. It, and it sounds kind of lonely, to tell you the truth, if everybody's on their own in their own little uh, uh, closets or, or cars doing what they want to do. There, there's no dialogue. There's no interaction. There's no affect. There's no attunement, uh, to speak in attraction theory terms. And by the way, in this increasing area of calling out microaggressions, right, being more sensitive to microaggressions, we're not getting closer People are not getting more civil. On the whole, loneliness is ramping up big time and incivility is off the charts. Is that a coincidence? No, I don't think so. In the last decade or so, microaggressions were those nasty things that you should avoid at all costs. In fact, uh, we need to set up safe places in our churches and communities and campuses so that people can be shielded from them because we don't want to hurt people's opinions or feelings or to have anyone question their own choices or beliefs or, or whatever it is, religion or sexuality or philosophy, right? Because that could be traumatic and that could create PTSD. Well, again, anybody can see how this sounds so well-meaning at a certain level, but 
Man, if you project it out, it can have devastating effects on discourse, on intimacy. Uh, it's, and that'd be discourse that's dangerous and safe. Who decides what is a microaggression and what's not? Well, ultimately, it's individualized. Every individual, of course, must make up their own mind. That's the whole point. And the extreme application of this is obvious. If I don't want to hear anyone criticize my actions or addictions or motivations or health issues or identity issues, or, or I, if I don't want to hear how I affect you, I can just label your comments in my head as a microaggression and, and keep on doing what I was doing, keep on hiding, keep in denial. It's the pinnacle of individualism, and it's not so helpful as it appears on paper. Remember what I said about loneliness and depression and suicide ideation, all skyrocketing. Okay, now, I do want to give a shout out to the concept based upon, there are some well-meaning aspects of it. If what we're saying about microaggressors is that we're ticked off that there are groups and philosophies that are being shut down, that can't dialogue, that can't express their opinions, that can't uh, ex live their identity or have a voice or 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 understand what their worth is, then, okay, that form of microaggression needs to be culled and stopped because it's unloving. It's disrespectful, to be sure, and I'm in. And certainly Jesus uh, had something different in mind in, in the Bible when it says, love your neighbor, right? But based upon what I'm seeing in the United States today, the incivility all around is ramping up to levels that I haven't seen since the 60s. Everything seems to be weaponized, and everything is tending towards individualization. This is, this is not helpful. This is not headed to a good end. And it turns out now the loudest and most aggressive voice seems to be the one that, that is the one defining what is and what is not a microaggression for the rest of us. And in any given day, in any given setting, your voice can be shut down. It's not safe at all. It's actually very shaming. <clears throat> Ironically, in order to prevent shaming people, we're shaming people. All right, back to Romans, because this is a podcast on Romans. I want to do a series of podcasts as I study through, process through the book of Romans as part of this small group that I'm in. It's not meant to be a Bible study, just a series of reflections. I mean, I'm going to look at the Greek. I'm going to look at commentaries. But, but honestly, it's what grabbed me as I read the text and thought about it and tried to apply it in my life and see what value it had for me, what it said to me, how it challenged me, and how it offended me, frankly. Uh, the group is looking through one of Tim, Tim Keller's popular commentaries on the book, but I'm also going through Gordon Fee's amazing tome on the Holy Spirit as well. Did you know that Paul spoke of the Holy Spirit 30 times in Romans? The, the person and ministry of the Spirit is mentioned more in Romans than just about any other thing in the book. Isn't that fascinating? But but right, gospel rant, you wouldn't know it from most of our dialogue and commentaries and pulpits. Very interesting. Remember what I said about individualism. This is the highest individualism. Is the Church of Jesus Christ at all dependent? I mean, really, really dependent upon the working of the Spirit in each of our lives and, and in our community's lives and our identity, our sense of significance, security, and belonging. Do we desperately need the Holy Spirit right now? Are you kidding me? Come on, since when? I mean, based upon what I'm seeing and reading, we need to send out an APB to even find the Spirit. I mean, he's in our inner being, but uh, I love how Calvin puts it. We treat Jesus, and that would include his Spirit, as if he's distant from us and unemployed. So look, we, we mention the Spirit in casual, rote prayers at the end of worship, 
right? But are we desperate? Do we see his centrality? Are we desperate for his power? Paul does in the book of Romans, and we're going to be offended by that. That's a microaggressor, because if that's true, what have I been doing? What have I been thinking? So are we dependent? Not in the U.S. You know, I'll say more, but we've, we have devolved into functional deism here. Not purposeful, but just functional. Deism is that philosophy that says that there's a God who created everything, who laid out laws and principles of good living and godliness, but then he left, and he's going to come back, and there'll be a trial, and, and he'll determine how we did. But for now, we're on our own, on our own power. And we have the book, we have the teachings, we have the writings, and if we can only have our teachers teach us well enough and convince us well enough what's godly and good, then of course... Come on, we're good people. We're going to make better decisions. We're going to make better choices. So it's all about better teaching in our churches because we're rational beings. And we just need our mind renewed. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that verse. By the way, whatever that means, and I'm suggesting we've simplified it, oversimplified it. So churches have been become literally teaching stations foundationally. We do other things, but at core, we just have to teach people what's right and wrong, and then they'll do it. Well, how's that working? Anyone involved in helping people escape addictions know that that our problem is most often not rational. It's not about teaching. Addicts know that they are harming themselves and others, right? I mean, that's where shame of addiction comes from. We, they know, but there's something in their brain that's making them have that drink, have that drug, or check out that porn, right? Romans is about... Here's the microaggression, how to deal with our day-to-day addictions. Well, the microaggression is, surprise, we are all addicts. First microaggression, targeted at the modern evangelical, and by the way, not just evangelical, but liberal, Catholics, uh, come on, the modern Christian, our comfortable embrace of Paul's radical letter. Look, this should be offensive to 99.99% of the Christians out there. In spite of what you think, Christian, or what you've been told, what you believe, you can't do Christ. You you won't do what Jesus did. You won't become actively righteous by your own efforts or choice, by working harder or thinking about it more, or getting better teaching, or, or even thinking that, you, you know what, you're doing pretty well, you're doing better than your neighbors. I mean, look at them. You just need some help from God. So God, help me. I've got this Christ life down about 85%, maybe 90 uh, so if you can only just top me off, uh, then then I'd be Jesus. No, this got to be offensive. It, it is to me. You and I are in desperate need of ongoing daily power from the Spirit to make us. Can I be more offensive? To make us feel the love of God for us right now. I, I need power from God to even feel God's love for us. To feel the love of God for others. So it's not just about me choosing to love my neighbors. I actually need God's power to make me feel love for my neighbors. I mean, have you met my neighbor? Right? For us to have any real hope that will encourage us or change our lives or do something with the addictions that we suffer from and struggle from, the hurts and wounds. The bar is so much higher, right? Jesus says, love God and love your neighbors. Well, 100% of love all the time. His love all the time. How's that going? Be perfect even as your heavenly father is perfect. How's that going? Love your enemies. How the hell is that going? I mean, I got to be honest with you. I call them my enemies because I don't love them. I don't like them. So the truth of the matter is we come to the text. We come to Romans. We come, we wake up in the morning. Seriously, failures per the text. And I, I think we know it at a certain level in our brain that shame that we fall short of expectations. But what we've been doing for many pulpits is we've been making people feel a little bit better because that's what good people do, right? 
But no, we need God to make me feel loved. That's, that's part of the message of, of Romans. So Paul's not writing about being more right and less wrong. That's guilt and innocence culture, which is the modern United States, but not ancient Rome. We're guilt-innocence culture. We're concerned with teaching then what is right and wrong from the pulpit and to our children's and Zoom, so that as informed, good people, basically good people, right? We just need a little more information. We'll rationally choose, because that's what we do. We make rational choices, right? Not emotional choices. I mean, who does that? And we will do what's right because that's what rational, good people do who are educated. And, and when we do, God's going to be pleased with us somehow and, and we'll earn blessings and everything will be hunky-dory. So we set up our sermons with clear application section that encourage our people. No, they really don't. It's nice terminology uh, that, that basically refers to shaming and guilting. And millennials will, will tell you they're so tired of our churches, the application section in particular, shaming them, making them feel shame, being a microaggression. And the, the idea is you just need to work harder. You're not good enough. And God's got to be disappointed in you. So now that I've worked you up in a shame and guilt, you'll go out and, and love God and love your neighbor. But you know what? We, come on. Every counselor knows if you shame a shamed person, you're just going to get an angry, shamed person or a depressed, shamed person. You're not going to get a rational person who's going to choose to change. Well, the implication from most of our churches is that the only thing between us and, and acting like Jesus is our being convinced and then rationally choosing what is right. Well, how crazy is this? And Paul would be shocked to hear our interpretation and application, except he was dealing with the same thing in Romans only 30 years or so after Jesus' death. It seems to be a bent in humanity, uh, even 2,000 years ago. Is that a microaggression? Yeah, it is to me. Man, that's disappointing, right? You would think we would have evolved. But here we go. Are you aware that your prefrontal cortex, that place where you think and you decide and you learn and you make choices, is not ruling your brain? I mean, get that off the plate. Challenge that. It's not ruling your brain. It's not the queen of your senses. Your choices, nope. It doesn't even lead to most of your actions during the day. In fact, it's the weakest part of your brain. Neuroscientists will tell you Tell us that it's your midbrain where all the chemical switches are, dopamine, oxytocin, cortisol. And by the way, cortisol, actually, when the fear cycle hits, it, it shuts down your prefrontal cortex, your ability to think and, and reason and choose. Whenever you feel attacked or, here we go, threatened by microaggressions, uh, you're not thinking. Crazy, right? You think you are, but, but your thinking has already been shut down. Well... Back to Romans. It's best to be seen as a book about how to defeat addictions. Wow, put that in your pipe and smoke it. We'll, we'll talk about that more. Isn't that offensive? Yeah. What difference does the gospel and the Holy Spirit make to my choices that are driven largely unaware by the addictions in my brain that, that, that are longing for dope hits from sex, sexuality, from gossip, from TV, from likes, from social media, from politics, from racism, from victim identity strategies, from the hurts and betrayals that have riddled my life? And of course, the big one, and Paul will deal with this, is thinking that I'm right. Uh, I'm more right than you, and so I can criticize you legitimately. I can basically claim that God loves me more than he likes you, and, and, and that's why I can do horribly unloving things towards you and make you feel bad. Right? Microaggression at its worst. But microaggression at its uh, best is this. You're not basically good. 
Even you as a Christian, you're not basically righteous, meaning your actions and choices, loving God and loving others, right? Even though you're saved, even though you're heaven bound. Uh, you and I today, in order to love God and love others, we desperately need the ongoing working of the Holy Spirit. Um, or we'll lose hope. We'll lose our bearings with God. We'll begin to feel like God doesn't love us, that he's disappointed in us. We'll have fears and fear cycles, which ignites cortisol, which shuts down my brain. Right? And we'll turn to other things, which is what Paul will deal in, in chapter one. Other idols that give me that dopamine hit that, I, that I've been missing, other than being loved by God. Well, another, and there's so many microaggressions. This is just an introduction. This is what I'm thinking about today. Today in Western Christianity, we've embraced the notion, the strategy that churches should be friendly and good, attractive, and, and be so friendly and good that they'll be attractive to those, you know, those non-friendly and non-good people around us, those neighbors, right? And then, then but here's the problem. If any wicked person shows up, I mean, a non-friendly, non-good person, and by that I mean generally those who disagree with me or who mess with my chill or who look different or offend me, or they're not good and friendly, which, by the way, our ongoing, defeats our ongoing strategy with the community, we just have to get rid of them. We have to shut them down. We have to remove their voice. We have to cubbyhole them quickly and, and at any cost in the name of Jesus. <laughs> so many Christians are leaving churches because of these microaggressions. Uh, they're leaving churches because they've suffered microaggressions from faulty people in leadership and in the pews and from the pulpit, right? And, and are shocked by that. Well, and, and they would say their brain goes, Jesus doesn't want us to be exposed to those wicked people, right? Jesus wants us to be loved and adored and hugged. Well, where do we get that biblically? Paul's writing uh, his letters, including the letter to the Romans, to real churches who are filled with real people, many of whom are offended by Paul, who are taking offense to Paul's teaching and credentials, who are offensive, many of whom are seeking to undermine, publicly undermine his message and ministry, who are calling him names, who are calling, calling him a heretic. So Paul just keeps injecting these letters, these, these uh, literary microaggressions, <laughs> right? And, and here's one of the ones he, he mentions, Jesus saves and equally adores sinners. Jesus saves and equally adores and pursues harmful people, people who spend most of their time unraveling his message and kingdom and, and hurting the saints. In fact, they are the saints. And yet Jesus loves them as they are. He continues to wash their feet. Isn't that what Jesus does? He pursues and raises them from shame and honor over and over, fully knowing that victories of experience uh, that they experience are only momentary and will not be perfected until heaven, meaning they will continue to hurt people. Why can Jesus do that? How can Jesus do that? That's what Jesus does. That's why he died for them 2,000 years ago. Listen to this rendition of the simple uncluttered gospel. You can get this as a bookmark from our website, gospel-app.com. Jesus follower, strictly because of what Jesus did for you 2,000 years ago, God absolutely loves you. He does love you with all of his heart. As much as the Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father. He can't love you any more or any less than he does right now. He loves you as you are, not as you should be or could be. You can't add to this love or take away from it. Now I get it. It often feels like you've messed it up or need to do something so that God would like you better. Not so. How do you experience it more now? Simple. Good news. There is something you can do and are invited to do. Here it is. You can take daily baby steps to ask the spirit inside of you 
to make you know. Oh, we hate that. That's a microaggression all of its own. To ask the Holy Spirit inside of you to make you know, experience and feel just how much God loves you right now. Just ask. Ask again later today. Ask tomorrow. Make it a spiritual habit. (sighs) Here's what I tell people. Heaven is going to be filled with redeemed and fully adored, without hesitancy or probation, spirit-filled addicts, LGBTQ, adulterers, pornography, addicts, slaves, uh, Democrats, Republicans, abortionists, anti-abortionists. Hell will be filled with unredeemed, unloved, and shamed, non-spirit-filled, all of the above. All right, let me ask. Do you still want to go to that heaven? I mean, is that what you're interested in? Is that what you're looking forward to? Because that's what's there. And... You know, I've said this before, too. In heaven, you'll you'll see this person and you'll walk up to them and go, oh, my gosh, they let you in. And that person will turn to you and say, oh, my gosh, they let you in. Heaven is going to be this amazing place uh, where we'll all finally experience the power of the Holy Spirit to make us feel the height and width and length and depth of the love of Christ at last. Isn't that a microaggression to most of us? Doesn't it expose our ignorance that we've been getting some things wrong, that we've been living our lives uh, in some kind of secular deism or humanism? Uh, Honestly, I like people who like me, who agree with me, who treat me with respect. Jesus, he loves his enemies. He loved those people who didn't treat him with respect, who killed him. Microaggression is, why am I so different from Jesus? What's wrong with me? Churches that are alive with Christ's spirits who have the mind of Christ, Philippians 2, are ridiculously messy and in many ways unattractive. And they, they, we should put warning labels on them. Don't come unless you're fully aware that you need the spirit too, that you know right now that you're God's child and you're loved by him. And we don't expect to be loved by us necessarily. Don't come without being aware that we are dangerous people who have only one thing in common ultimately. We are adored by Jesus as we are. And if we didn't offend you yesterday, just wait until next week. We apologize ahead of time. Welcome. (laughs) Wow, that would be our website. Well, more to come. Just one more microaggression in this little introduction. Paul might be in prison as he's writing this, or recently has been a lot. He might be in Corinth, which, man, if you read the letter, 1 Corinthians, that's a story for another time about how much God loves sinners. And this Paul is shepherding his loving desire to come to Rome. He wants to be with the people. He feels called to be with these people, to love on them, to pass on stuff to them, to minister to them, to serve them. It's an over-the-top. It's sacrificial. It's caring. It's pastoral. It's a hallmark good news story, right? That's what that's what my pastor should be like. Punchline at the end of, of season one episode, right? The life of Paul. He makes it to Rome, ministers to them, and then, it's murdered. And then he's murdered there. In season one. Wow. Isn't that something? So much for a good God who's protecting his brave and loving instrument, Paul. That's a microaggression. Lots of questions, right? Microaggressions off the chart. Is this what God has in store for me, for his gospel? Maybe. (laughs) And by the way, maybe after this podcast. (laughs) Look, am I wrong? But this is frightening uh, to all of us who've been lulled asleep in the comfort of U.S. Christianity. um, Sure, we could beat up as Christians. By the way, much of that we've earned and deserve. But this is hardly the suffering that historic children of God have had to endure. The message of Jesus 
is not only an offense to Christians, it's an offense to non-Christians. I mean, really offensive. It's a microaggression. I get that. I mean, I get it why people want to shut up Christianity, the core of Christianity. Uh, it's a massive microaggression. I guess that doesn't make any sense. It's a massive aggression. It shames us. It tells us that we're not good. It tells us that we can't fix it. It tells us that inner voice has been right, that we, we fall short of expectations, particularly uh, getting God to care for us. Or, or We don't deserve heaven. No matter what we do, we can't fix that. We can't change that. We're not able to choose to stop most, if any, of our addictions. We're trapped. Who wants to admit that? We're enslaved. Who wants to be a slave to more things than we dare believe? And we're basically not good, Right? We can't fix this mess no matter how much education we give our kids. We can't fix this mess uh, with or without more legislation or the right political party or new wokeness or, 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 or riots or protests or anything else. Right? We actually need God. Well, that's not a popular image for U.S. Christians. We hate being in need. Well, more to come. Romans is that book of microaggressions that I think is designed to offend all of us, and we need it, uh, but in particular, to offend Christians and Christians living in the U.S. right now. Well, are you a masochist and you're interested? If you follow along, look, I'm just begging you, don't blame me if you're ticked off. I'm, I'm kind of only the messenger, and I might be wrong. Uh, actually, I'm getting offended so much myself, and that's my commitment to you is, is I'm willing to share that. Uh, but but I'm learning with Paul that I'm the biggest sinner here. So if you feel me judging you, uh, man, yeah, my bad. Uh, because the truth of the matter is, uh, I'm the biggest sinner here. Present company accepted. And I hate that. I think that I should be further along as a Christian. I think that I should be more Christ-like than I am. I hate it being pointed out that I'm missing the mark. And yet, because of the simple uncluttered gospel, I'm completely and fully adored by God right now. If I could just hear him, I could hear his voice saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Wow. Strictly because of what Jesus did on my behalf 2,000 years ago. Period. Boom. I, I love this. And yet, if I were honest, this shames me. This offends me. And it wakes me up and gives me hope and drives me crazy at the same time. Oh. Welcome to Gospel Rant and this series, Romans, the Book of Microaggressions. Take heart, child of God. Is life feeling chaotic? I get it. I'm Rachel Wojo, host of the Untangling Life podcast. Don't miss the passionate encouragement and faith-based resources you need to help you clear your head and calm your heart. As Shell says, it feels like Rachel always knows what I need to hear. She keeps it real and is so humble. Her podcast is just the cherry on top. Enjoy Untangling Life with Rachel Wojo on lifeaudio.com or your favorite podcast app now.